0: Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Future Ear Radio Podcast. Uh, in this episode, you're going to hear me interview six different audiologists and practice owners from all over the country to really get a sense of what these past few months have been like during the pandemic, You know, starting with the shutdown and then talking through some of the different ways that they've adapted, modified their practice and services, and then how things are looking moving forward as things begin to reopen. So we're going to start with uh, Jill Caseworm out of Michigan. We'll then have uh, Megan Lewis uh, at Wake Forest in North Carolina, Ronnie Bowling in Tennessee, uh, Cheryl Figliano in Youngstown, Ohio, Judy Hutch in Tucson, Arizona, and then finish with Jason Aird in Iowa. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast.
1: My name is Jill Caseform. I'm a longtime private practitioner in St. Joseph, Michigan. Basically, I started my business years ago when I graduated, and I've known no other life but private practice.
0: Awesome. So, uh, you know, through the course of these interviews that you'll be hearing on the podcast, um, the whole idea here is to just get a sense from business owners within the industry, and just different professionals of what this period of time has been like, and what life is looking like as things start to reopen. So can you just share with us like, what Um, March and April in particular have been like, and then kind of like as we go into May or as we go into June and what May's been like, um, just kind of getting a finger on the pulse of this period of time for your practice.
1: Well, Dave, I have to tell you that we just, we came off the best January and February we'd ever had in the business, which was great. And then March hit and our state shut down about the middle of March. We still had business because my professionals were being active and calling patients and letting them know you know that let's say we had a couple companies that they furloughed people and their employees were worried about maintaining their hearing benefits so we were active in ordering aids for them remotely programming them we offered curbside or curbside or what we now call our white glove service so we were open and in March we did about um, a third of the business we normally would do In April, we did about 10% of the business we normally do. Mm -hmm. In May, we started seeing people mid-May in office, and I completely transformed the office. I wanted to make sure it was very safe for patients. So we we actually ripped out a wall, and we (laughs) added a new check-in desk. So there was a check-in desk for our service center and a check-in desk for new patients. We added another um, waiting area far removed, close to the booths, so that if people brought someone, if they were having their hearing tested, the other person would sit in that remote location. We limited chairs. We completely transformed our operation. When we opened the doors, our first week in May was fabulous. Now keep in mind, at this point, our state still wasn't opened by the governor, but we were deemed as essential services the second week we were open not so good and the third week we've been open is really not good people are telling us despite us being very active and calling patients and letting them know we're here and we're safe our remote or white glove service is going very well but patients are reluctant to come out because mm-hmm. the governor has our state shut down so i'm concerned and we are being very proactive at letting patients know we're there and we're safe but it's going to be a little tougher coming back than I thought it was going to be. It's going to take a little more time than I expected.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about this white glove service?
1: So we actually put in an area, just we designated a couple of parking spots in front of our customer service center and we put in a ring camera so that when anybody pulled up in those spaces, it, it alerted staff that someone was there. We offer it just right now from 9 to 10 every morning, and we aren't allowing walk-ins right now, which we used to do, which helps me really kind of control that part of the business, but we've done everything out there. I mean, we can, it's close enough to our office. We can reprogram when people are out there. People feel safe, and they love the convenience, mm-hmm. and so it's gone very well.
0: So do you envision, um, you know, once Michigan opens up, I guess, in, in terms of uh, what, what the governor does, um, do you envision, you know, like, let's say that business returns to a semblance of normalcy? Um, do you see there being uh, this sort of like uh, white glove service or, or maybe like this new sort of remote element to your practice? Like, do you see long term adaptations to your business derived from this period?
1: Well, I made my mind up when all this happened that we were going to transform this business and we were going to make it what I wanted it to be. After over 30 years in business, some things have gotten out of control. And this was my chance, my chance for mm-hmm. change because people expect change coming back. We indeed will have um, our white glove service every day. We're trying to reduce the amount of in-office face visits by 35%. So when, after someone is fit with their aids, we can do remote programming, but then when we follow up with them like three months later, those visits will be remote. So we are very much using this time to transform the business to be stronger and better and more friendly for patients when we come out of this.
0: Yeah. And so do you think that once you are fully open as a state, do you get the sense from your patients that they will come back? Or do you think that this is going to be something, particularly with the patient demographic being a little bit older, that this could be something that takes a little while for patients to feel comfortable returning? And obviously you've been doing a lot to alleviate that as much as you can and make them feel comfortable. Um, But do you get the sense that there is a pent up demand or do you think that it's going to be something that takes time
1: Well, I know I've talked to colleagues all across the country, and California and Florida seem to be at 80% of what they were. That's certainly not true in the Midwest. I think, yes, there's pent-up demand, which we've dealt with some because we continued to work with patients all through that time. We were not shut down completely ever. And so, yes, I think there's pent-up demand, but I think it's going to take more marketing dollars to get people to come back and to let them know we are safe because this virus is not gonna go away. It's still Mm -hmm. gonna be there. And I think in our state where we've been shut down, we will have been shut down for three months, I think people are a little more reticent in the Midwest. I think, yes, it can come back. I think it's gonna take a few months to come back. And I think it's gonna take some real marketing and letting patients and your referral sources know that, hey, we're safe, we're dealing with this in every way that we can, and we're not taking it lightly.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome, Jill Caseworm. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to say about the state of the industry right now? Um, you know that to to your fellow colleagues out there.
1: Well, I just want to say, you know, you read. I want to say that that which does not kill us make us stronger. I've questioned that in the last couple of weeks but this is still a great profession. People do wanna hear better, promote the best technology, demonstrate the best technology to your patients and let them make the choice. And also strongly recommend the accessories that help people hear better, the masks that have the clear centers and things like that because we will be wearing masks. It's a great profession and we can still be of very incredible help to our patients, but we need to promote that actively. It's not gonna come back by itself.
0: Awesome, Well, thank you.
1: You're welcome, Dave. Hi, I'm Megan Lewis. I'm the Director of Audiology at
2: Wake Forest Baptist Health in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, We're a hospital system, so our hospital has three locations across the triad um, and additional four offices um, in our network. So we have a total of 26 audiologists. um, And I'm here to talk about reopening.
0: Yeah. No, thanks, Megan, for joining today. Um, I wanted to get a smatter of different, you know, professionals within the industry across the country. Uh, so you're sort of my southeast person and um, wanted to just get a feel first off. What's it been like in North Carolina and, uh, you know, particularly within Wake Forest? Um, what's it been like for you in terms of, I know that you've been essential and you've been um, open to a degree, but can you speak to just like the past few months and then all the way up till today in terms of how restrictive it's been. And then as it's kind of gradually opened up, like what your practice has looked like.
2: Sure. So we have been somewhat essential in that we continue to screen babies for the NICU and for, for well baby nursery. You have to take care of those babies. Um, and we actually moved some of our um, follow-up screening to a smaller location off campus from the main hospital so that it was easier for families to get in without having contact with other folks waiting in the car until it's time for their screening and then coming up. Um, because we, we know that that's time sensitive, right? If we, we've gotta get those babies identified. And in fact, right now, um, if, talking about newborns or, and babies as far as, getting them screened. If, if we have to sedate a baby right now, um, everybody who's being sedated has to have a COVID test, And they also have to wait and be quarantined, I think for five days <clears throat> before their procedure. So that's a big deal right now if you mm-hmm. have to actually sedate someone. So of course we wanna avoid that if, if we possibly can, because we also don't know how long this is gonna go on. So it's super important in terms of those babies that we, we perform that follow-up. So we've done that in smaller locations, but we've also, in terms of our hearing aid patients, we've been seeing hearing aid patients all along, but in a, in a modified manner, right? So mm-hmm. they can, they can do what we've been calling curbside service. And so they can call and tell us, Hey, my hearing aid's broken, or I can't hear and I'm without sound. I think that's also pretty critical because people are at home with their family members and not being able to hear them, uh, for environmental awareness, I think, and also for, for just quality of life, mm-hmm. um, being at home not being able to hear anything has got to be pretty miserable. So, um, I, I, told my, my boss that we were preventing, uh, more arguments and, <laughs> and uh, domestic incidents by <laughs> keeping people on the air. but. Um, certainly when we're when we're doing that we're wearing gloves and a mask so that um, aspect of curbside service is definitely a different avenue than than we've done before. I think you know one story I have about that I know I'm getting a little off topic but no i went worries. i went to see a a patient in the parking lot i couldn't find her um and I, she finally because there were there were multiple cars in our mm-hmm. parking lot or part of a rehab center so i, I she honked the horn I found her and I was able to go help her with her hearing and the way back in uh, somebody rolled down their window and they said miss miss do we need to honk the horn before we go in and so I, I think yeah. it's, it's it's interesting because there's not really a socially we don't know how to how to do that right this is all so, new. all so new right um, so we've done the curbside service and then I um, We have also been doing some remote programming, which I love as an option.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: There are bugs to be worked out, but for our patients who are savvy enough, it's been definitely a way for us to keep in touch with them. We've done some, um, some patients have picked up their device without having to come in. And then um, we have been able to remotely program them with the intent of bringing them back into the office to do real ear when possible. Um, But they've been, especially people who've worn hearing aids before and were waiting on something to be repaired. They've been extremely grateful for that. Um, Keeping them on the air getting, you know, having some kind of, of life as normal. Um, So, and like yesterday, I I, I had a patient, a a mom uh, of, three kids and she's had a pretty significant drop in her hearing. So she was really ready to get her devices. And so um, I saw her in the office yesterday, but we've decided for her follow-up, it'll be much easier for her to be able to do something remotely because then she doesn't have to find somewhere for her kids to go and she can, she can access her phone from home um, for a simple, for a simple adjustment. Yeah, I mean, it's a great option.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that what's interesting is like just from the conversation that we had prior to recording here, it's like there are definitely some short-term modifications that, you know, we don't know how long these modifications will be. Like you mentioned in your patient waiting room, you guys have spaced it out a whole bunch, right? Where, you know, allowing for social distancing within there and you're trying to space out the patient appointments so that you don't have a whole bunch of people in there at once. But I think this is really interesting where, you have these um, technologies that maybe were readily available prior, like these remote fittings and the ability to do this remote aspect of this. Do you see that being something that's like this remote telehealth type aspect of your of your job now? Do you see that being something that you'll probably implement longer term?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it the, definitely the technology was there as we as we discussed, but there wasn't a real impetus to. to mm-hmm. To kind of push us off the off the, you know, the ledge, so to speak, or jump in the water. Mm-hmm. But I think now that it's there, I I love it as an option, especially for people who are driving long distances. Yep. I think as a patient that that is that is huge. I you know I think it gives them much more flexibility and um, they may be more apt to have an adjustment because they don't have to drive to have that done or to touch base with their professional. It's, it's, it's a great option. I don't see it going away.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: I think now that we have it, it's here to stay. Um,
0: And I love what you said too, where it's like, you still like, I think this whole idea of like a hybrid makes so much sense to me where you have somebody they come in that first time you see them face to face and then you evaluate that, you know what, maybe for you, for your follow-up visits, it might make more sense for a more remote, you know, Mm -hmm. type follow-up. And I just think that optionality is really, really important. So as we sort of wrap up here, I'm curious, like what is, um, how do you, what's your gut tell you in terms of? The, you know going into june um are you getting the sense that there is um you know within your patient base um that people are becoming more um i guess uh open to the idea of coming and seeing you like are you feeling kind of an uptick or how is what's your what's your sense of the volume of business right now
2: yeah absolutely so i think there we definitely have people who are ready to come in
1: they've mm-hmm. been
2: waiting They're ready and they're ready to move on kind of with life in general and they're ready to come in. We have several consults on the schedule. The thing is that while our schedules are full and and I've actually had to thin them out some so that we have physical space, like you mentioned in the lobby Mm -hmm. to try and keep people from, from being, you know, on top of each other. There are we have had more no shows than we had before. And I think that some of that is there's this, as we start to open up, there's this trepidation of what can I do and what can I not do safely. Um, and think it's interesting and it's been very interesting to observe how that works when people come in through our lobby, right, because um, uh, everyone, of course, is being screened at the door and if they don't have a mask, they're being given a mask. So there have been several folks that who get through check-in and they come back to see the audiologist and then i think they feel safe mm. they can take their mask off yeah so it's, it's
0: again this is so new
2: it's so new well it's kind of like i was talking about in the parking lot we we don't have a social script for them right There's, it, it's a what do i do I, i'm not sure how do i have to wear my mask all the time mm-hmm. do i have to wear it in the booth do i have to it's it's definitely been and will continue to be i think We're we're rewriting our social, our social mores.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, the experience and and what things are kind of like in North Carolina.
2: Thanks so much, Dave.
3: Hey there, this is Ronnie Bowling. I'm the practice manager of Brentwood Hearing Center in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Ronnie, thanks for joining us today. So I wanted to bring Ronnie on, um, along with the other folks. Ronnie's sort of the the guy that I'm bringing from the south uh, in Tennessee. So wanted to get a finger on the pulse of what it's like there. So Ronnie, can you share with us, um, you know, what this period of time has been like for your practice? Um, You know, going back to maybe March, and then you know where it is today, uh, just in terms of you know how you've adapted to this situation and some of the different things that you've done to manage this period of time.
3: Sure. Well, thanks for the opportunity to share. You know, I've, I've found that whether I go to a conference or whether I go to a committee meeting or, or anything like that by a manufacturer, some of the greatest value that I get back is learning from my peers. And so maybe some of the things that we're able to do can help somebody else and uh, we look forward to listening to the other podcasts to learning from others, too. Uh, if I'm the guy from the South, maybe I should begin by saying howdy, y'all.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Howdy, y'all.
3: <laughs> it's good, uh, good to be with you. What's it been like for Brentwood Hearing Center? Uh, it's been very different, obviously. It's been different for everybody. Um, our patient population is uh, would be in the aged or the aging, I think our average age patient's about 69.1 years of age. So in addition to listening to media outlets and the fear that kind of pervades our society right now, our patients are even more cautious, I think, than the younger set would be. And so they've been very careful to stay in. We took the position though, realizing that uh, our government, our local and our state government didn't have real specific guidelines on practices like ours, we took the position while we always wanted to make sure that we were being careful and adhering to appropriate protocol for both our employees and our patients, the hearing was essential. When our patients have been isolated, it's even more important for them to be able to hear their television and to hear their uh, family and friends when they talk on the telephone. So. We've really tried to promote the technology that's available to those patients during this time to make sure that while they've been holed up in their retirement centers and some of our folks still can't get out, uh, that they're able to hear
0: yeah, can you speak a little bit about some of the different marketing tactics that you've used during this time? I thought that um, what you had mentioned to me was really interesting about some of the things that you're doing with you know television and radio and then you know something even like a physical newsletter. Um, can you speak to how you've been using these different channels and the efficacy of those channels?
3: Sure, I will. You know, when when something like this hits and you realize that your revenue is gonna be impacted, and ours has, our, our revenue has been impacted, we've had uh, the benefit of the Payroll Protection Program loan, which our bank was one of the first ones to get on board. In fact, uh, with a banking background myself, I was, made sure that ours was the first application processed by our <laughs> bank. So, so that's really helped. Um, but when, when something like this happens, the first thing we always want to do, realizing that our revenue is going to take a hit, is find a way to cut expenses. And we spend 10 to 12, sometimes up to 14% of our annual revenue on marketing. And the larger set of that marketing expense is what I put in the brand awareness category uh, versus the call to action, which is our print materials and recall cards. But uh, radio and television, we have an endorsement on local sports talk radio, and we also have an ad that runs uh, two full weeks, alternate days, um, on our local lead television station, which is the CBS affiliate. So the first thing I thought is, well, let's look at those marketing expenses because that might be maybe a way to cut. And so I talked with my representative from the television station and the radio station and said, hey, I'm looking at cutting back a little bit. Uh, What do you think? But before I make that decision, can you tell me what's your viewership like and what's your listenership like right now? Now, I realize both of them are in the business of selling ads and keeping customers on board just like we are, but they're being very honest with me and they shared with me their their numbers where they're viewership and their listenership was sometimes as much as double what it was and so i did look at other ways to cut some expenses here at the office and found some ways but i made the strategic decision that from that marketing those marketing outlets i was going to leave those in and because i decided that the radio station the television station actually gave me free spots Wow. And so, I wanted to make sure that during the time that people were isolated and they're watching television and listening to the radio more, that we were in front of them just as much uh, as we had been and it's proved to be uh, proved to be really, really successful we've uh, We've gotten a lot of feedback from patients that I've, I've saw you on television. Thanks for changing your message to make sure it was appropriate and reassuring us so those two outlets uh, we feel like uh, have have remained very constant for us. And as far as the call to action, um, we've also done some other things to make sure. You know, whether you're in the uh, the business of selling uh, medical supplies like Oak Tree Products, or whether you're at Brentwood Hearing Center and you're selling uh, uh, hearing care, um, it's important to make sure that we always realize that the best source of new business is always gonna be your new customer base. And we like to reach people via television and radio, and we like to reach people versus our signage being appropriate on the back of our building when people drive by, going back and forth to Nashville, which millions of cars do every day. But staying in front of our existing customers is very important, and so during this time, we wanted to make sure that we did that What message did we communicate? Well, one was, we're here. We're here for you. Let us know how we can help you. If that means driving up and us going out and getting your hearing aids off of your windshield taped to, in a baggy taped to your windshield, (laughs) uh, glove up, mask up, we'll come out with a Dixie cup and you know our Red Solo cup and bring them back in. We'll look at them. If we need to send them off, we will. We'll let you know when they're back. Drive back up, let us know when you're here, we'll bring them back. So, whether it's Drive Up, another successful, um, uh, so Drive Up, reassuring patients that we're here, whether it's Drive Up, telecare has also been a very important thing that we've been able to do. Um, Remote support programming through apps on their telephone, telecare through our patient management system, where we're able to help patients get back up and running, to change a filter, to change a battery to clean out a a ear mold, those kinds of things. So those have been important. We stayed in front of our patients uh, also with our semi-annual newsletter. Obviously the message changed. We tried to have a couple of funny cartoons about the results of COVID. Um, Our (laughs) recipe that we always do, I put my favorite uh, lemon sour cream pound cake recipe (laughs) in there. Uh, But the primary message that we, but in the newsletter, in addition to our new protocol of how we're gonna be when we're open back up is hearing care is healthcare. I love that. How important, how important your hearing is. And while it may seem easy to, it may be easy to, please don't neglect that and let us know what we can do. How's life gonna be going forward? Things are beginning to pick up. Uh, we, the phone's ringing more. We really feel like that sending our, our uh, email blasts, sending our print newsletter, all the things we're doing to stay in front of our existing customers to get them back in here is good. Tennessee has probably opened up a little bit earlier than other states, and so that's made it easier because our clientele does watch television a lot, they listen to the radio a lot, and they follow the direction of local and state authorities. And so the fact that the authorities have loosened things up or opened things up a little bit have made it a little more encouraging for our patients to get back out.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic all around. I think it's so interesting what you said about, you know, you obviously are looking for things to cut and it's like, well, should we cut um, these marketing expenses? And rather than cut them, you sort of doubled down on them, which seems to be a really, uh, prudent and, you know, strategic decision on your part. And I love this idea that, you know, obviously new customers are really important, but also the existing customers are equally as important in all of the messaging and tailoring those messages, you know, based on, the situation um, in in helping to appeal to this sense of, you know, we are a essential service for you. You know, hearing care is a it's health care. So I just love everything that you said there. And I think it's really interesting. And, you know, talking to different folks from around the country, it is different. You know, um, Michigan, it's not quite open yet. In Tennessee it is so I know that that plays a big role um, you know in this whole thing but obviously um, as things start to open up I hope that more and more um, of the total patient base if you will um, feels comfortable and that the providers out there do a good job of uh, uh, you know ensuring that sense of confidence and instilling that within them that this is a totally safe environment for them to go
1: yeah
3: I think at the end of the day Dave um, while our message has changed and many of our methods are changing, our focus is still on the patient experience. And first and foremost in the patient's mind today, of their experience at our office is safety, making sure that we're taking every precaution, whether it's using gloves, mask, face shields, whatever, We have masks available to our patients if they don't bring their own. But when they call to schedule, we encourage them to bring their own mask and we will have ours when they're here. So it's all about the patient experience, uh, safety being first and foremost, but then also making sure that the patient knows that this is a relationship, this is essential, and we are here to make sure that whatever their need is that we want to make sure that if nothing else one of their joys in life has still been able to hear their children their grandchildren their spouses their television and their
0: radio awesome well ronnie thank you so much for giving us a sense of what's been going on with your practice down in nashville we appreciate it
3: well you're quite welcome you know given that so much of nashville's economy is based on tourism let me just uh, end by saying y'all, y'all come on down.
0: <laughs> come try your famous uh, lemon pound cake.
4: That's right.
0: That's right. <laughs> Some hot chicken. All right. Cool. Thanks. Right. Thanks, ma'am.
4: Well, thank
3: you. Uh-huh.
5: Hi, I'm Dr. Cheryl Figliano. I am a doctor of audiology. I have seven private practice offices in the Youngstown, Ohio, or Northeastern Ohio area. Most of our offices are located right between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And uh, I've been with this company for 31 years and a longtime customer of the Kemp family. <laughs> I want to add that because uh, what year did you open?
0: We opened oh. in 1993 when Ninety- I was like four years old.
5: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for rubbing that in. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been a customer that long and you guys still give amazing customer service.
2: Thank you.
0: Um,
5: So I just had to throw that in there because it's true.
0: Yeah, and like I was joking earlier, you probably, you know, you alone have probably helped to like pay for a year of my college (laughs) education or something. So thank you.
5: (laughs) I know I have, and you're welcome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for joining me today. Um, I'm getting, you know, this is the fourth one that I've done now, and I'm just getting a different array of people from all around the country, you know, within the industry, trying to get a sense of what this time has been like for you. You know, you're sort of in this like Rust Belt, Northeast Area, uh, so a little bit different than anybody I've had, and I'm just really curious. Um, what has this been like in Youngstown? You know, going back to say March, you had a really interesting comment. You know, your last name Figliano. You're married to an Italian, so you have family in Italy, and so they were very aware of the severity of this. So it sounds like you were pretty open and uh, aware of just the extent of this, um, of what this was going to be. So can you speak to what this has been like for you and in, in your practices?
5: Oh, absolutely. Well, in Ohio, we were considered essential, so we didn't have to close. But my husband and I, who's my business business partner, um, chose to close because we wanted to keep our staff safe. We wanted to keep our patients safe uh, and certainly keep the curve down. But a lot of that had to do with his family in Italy. I mean, we had daily conversations out of concern for them because the situation there was just so grave. Um, I think our staff maybe questioned, oh my gosh, you, why are we closing? But it, it got bad. And uh, we had friends that were in serious, serious um, uh, situations and in, in the were hospitalized. So um, we had services still open for emergencies, um, but really curbside and very, very few at that. And as I was mentioning earlier, um, when we decided to slowly start to reopen the first day we reopened and brought staff back, you know, it's almost like the first day back from school after summer vacation. Mm -hmm. But now not, not only are we getting back into the swing of things, but now we have all these new things we need to worry about. Um, so I had everybody watch, uh, AU bonkitis uh, infection control classes on audiology online. And after everyone watched that, they felt so much more comfortable because what we all realized was that all along hearing aids have had some really bad things on them, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah
5: viruses and bacteria and everyone kind of went oh wait we've already done this we know hearing aids can carry some pretty dangerous things Mm -hmm. and uh, so we just need to be careful like we've always been and maybe even more so you know clean everything disinfect everything wash your hands Um, and so everyone slowly kind of started to grasp with having to deal with all that and then by day three we were like a well-oiled machine everyone Mm -hmm. felt comfortable um but but with new ways right we couldn't open our doors and and have all the floodgates come in so we came up with some new ways to to do things and one thing that we absolutely love and we will continue to do is our curbside service yep And, uh, I don't know why we, we haven't done it before. And even if it's raining or snowing, which we've had all of that here in Ohio, we just have a raincoat and umbrella and patients get a kick out of it that we're coming to their car. Uh, we can see higher numbers of people and still stay safe because they're outdoors. Um, they're in their car. So we're social distancing and they're, they're happy as a clam because you know, Most times that they're here, it's a simple cleaning. Their wax filters are plugged. It's it's simple types of things.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, but we can see a higher number of people. And uh, everything is prepaid. So if there's a charge for something when they make their appointment, they pay by phone. Um, it's the new normal. And what's wonderful is we're getting a payment for everybody because they know in order to be seen, they have to make their payment by phone and no one has a problem with it because Mm -hmm. it's what's required everywhere you go now. Um, So we will definitely continue having a day of curbside service because um, again, it's, it's less traffic in your waiting room. You don't have to clean everything. We have cleaner bathrooms (laughs) because patients aren't coming in and out. They're not tying up the front staff with, social chit chat and coming early to have coffee or to scratch off their lottery tickets. Uh, (laughs) It's a very, it's a very efficient service. People are still getting great care. They feel like we're treating them very special because we're coming out to them, even if it's raining or snowing. Um, And staff loves it because we're not stuck indoors. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's just been wonderful. And we'll continue to do that.
0: So tell me about the remote services piece. You had mentioned that a little bit. Um, is this something that you guys are embracing in your practice, doing more of these remote services? Oh,
5: we absolutely are, and I don't know why we didn't do them sooner. I think uh, probably like everyone else, day-to-day you get so busy, <clears throat> and you think, well, we don't, we don't really need that. Patients mm-hmm. are coming to us, and, and uh, we like to meet with them one-on-one and get to know them. But it has just been such an amazing change here to our practice because our new rule is uh, when you come in as a new patient, we set up a half an hour telehealth appointment. And then a couple days later, we set up a regular appointment for whatever they need. Maybe it's a diagnostic evaluation. And 99% of the patients in that first half hour telehealth end up knowing exactly what hearing aid they want when they come in. And it cuts down time then for their appointment in the office. We've already gotten to know them established in a relation, uh, a relationship. They see the provider they are going to be seeing and they feel comfortable with them. Uh, We've picked out styles of hearing aids and gone over, you know, what the features are. So when they do actually come into the office, it's a quick hearing test, maybe impressions if they're necessary and they're out the door and it, it has just streamlined everything and also it weeds out the patients who aren't ready to buy or you find out you're not a provider on their insurance plan whatever it might be and it's freed up so much wasted time that we used to have on our schedule so Uh, telehealth will be a staple for us from this point forward.
0: I just think that's so interesting. I've had conversations before on the podcast where we've talked about how it can be used for existing patients, but that's actually a genius way to use it for new patients as sort of like this, um, almost like, evaluation and say like okay so let's just get a baseline understanding of what you're looking for because to your point then you get them in there and you already have so much information on exactly why they're even contacting you in the first place that seems like a no-brainer to me
5: right but why weren't we doing it before
0: Mm -hmm. well it seems like we needed something maybe to to push the industry toward you know forcing us more or less to to adopting some of these things.
5: Right. You know, by the time the patients come in after just that half an hour telehealth appointment, you feel like you're old friends with them. Yeah. They've told you about the kind of wine they like or, (laughs) you know, who's complaining about their hearing loss and what spurred them now to make that decision to get them and uh, it's it's really really beneficial. So I would encourage everyone out there who hasn't done it, just set up that half hour telehealth. Uh, we've even thought about calling it telehear or telehelp or putting some different spin on it. Um, the other interesting thing is being here in small town USA. Uh, patients are wowed by the telehealth. They say things like. Oh, you're just like the big hospitals you're now doing video telehealth so they feel like you know we're really up with the times that's cool uh, providing those services so yeah it's really it's really been a great great addition to what we've been doing
0: Love it. So let me just ask you, as we kind of close out here, what's your sense in terms of, you know, small town America and, uh, you know, up in that area that you're in, Youngstown? Um, are you feeling like there's uh, a, a semblance of normalcy that's returning within, you know, are you seeing um you know, a relatively normal amount of patients relative to what you were pre-pandemic, um, or do you think that it's going to kind of be this new hybrid approach where you're seeing in, you know, some in person, some, you know, more face-to-face, how are you thinking about that?
5: Um, uh, I think if we opened our doors and were business as usual that people would start flocking in, mm-hmm. um, now that the governor has relaxed a lot of the, the restraints in our area people are anxious people don't understand why we're not you know fully open we are going to continue embrace to embrace this uh, as you called it hybrid model because it's so much more efficient you know we bring in patients one at a time to see them one-on-one so that our staff is safe and that the patient is safe um, And they get one-on-one attention, they're not rushed. All of the other things like telehealth is cut down on the time that they're needed in the office. We have a supply pickup day. We only have one day in each office a week that people can come in and pick up their batteries and their supplies. It's it's worked out brilliantly and it's cut down so much traffic coming through the office. And and again, I've just found that we're just so much more efficient with these new things that we've done that I don't want to go back to, uh, you know, 30 patients a day streaming through Mm -hmm. the office. I I want to keep it uh, more low key and more Mm -hmm. one on one time with the patient. So, um, you know, for those of you out there that haven't opened and you're nervous about opening, people need us. People with mild hearing losses found out how much they're struggling when they're around their family more, you know, Mm -hmm. during uh, quarantine times.
0: Everybody's Um, wearing masks.
5: Everyone's wearing masks. So even mild hearing losses are, um, you know, are are more noticeable. And then throw that on top of the stimulus money that everyone's gotten. And, you know, the woman I'm fitting this afternoon said, I want to spend my stimulus money. And what a better thing than something to improve my quality of life. Totally. So come up with a new normal, um, embrace the new normal, work efficiently, and you're gonna find that people are really, really happy when they can hear well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Figliano, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing what you know. life's been like up in Youngstown, Ohio.
5: Thank you for having
6: me. Hi there, this is Judy Hutch with Oro Valley Audiology and Grace Hearing Center. I'm located in Tucson, Arizona.
0: Awesome, Judy. Well, thank you for joining us. You are our Southwest representative, I'll call it, um, but really wanted to get a sense from you of what things have been like, um, you know, out in Arizona, out in Tucson, um, going back to, say, March and then up to today. Can you just kind of share that story of what things have been like for you in your practice?
6: All right, so in early March, you know, when um, COVID really started to spread um, across the country, and especially in New York, where it had uh, really started to get serious, we were trying to figure out how best to serve our patients. Um, And it was about March 16th that we just decided we needed to lock the doors and just figure out what we needed to do because there was a lot of uncertainty on how it spread and what PPEs we should have, um, if we should even see people. Uh, I do a lot of QTC testing for the VA and um, there was no guidance um, from there either. So just trying to look at CDC, OSHA, um, and our state guidelines was very difficult so while we closed we still did curbside um, and but we just did four hours four days a week and Mm -hmm. we all decided to start doing some projects some pretty awesome things that we made is i have a locker system set out for a touchless pickup system um, and a nice drop off Um, i married an architect who's pretty handy. So kind of cheap labor for me. And but that worked out really, really well. And the weather was beautiful in March and April. It's uh, today it's supposed to be 107. So we're changing our um, curbside times a little bit. Um, But we've made an AR program. We are um, changing things around to expand our cognitive program, our tinnitus program, but we just really got in the trenches and uh, decided we are going to come out this better and stronger.
0: Yeah, no, that's so cool. And this curbside option with the locker um, that you described, can you just tell me a little bit more about that? That sounds really, really interesting
6: has uh, four smaller lockers so you could probably put two shoe boxes in them Mm -hmm. and um, I'm five feet so it's about four and a half feet tall and um, we can change the combination so the initial combination we just picked um, a date and that's what they're all set to and then each person that has to pick something up then we make it unique to them. They open up the locker, take what's out, and then we go back, sanitize it, reset it, and we just keep track of everybody. And it's worked out really nice.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. So it's like, are people dropping off their hearing aids for repairs and picking up things like batteries or what are you putting in this lockbox?
6: So if people can't make it, especially when we had the reduced hours, if they couldn't, um, well, when we weren't letting anybody into the building, we would put it there to pick up. Now it's just for weekends, or if they're uncomfortable in coming into a public place, then we have the option to give them this touchless uh, option. And we let them know how we sanitize and all of that, but it's gone over really well
0: yeah that's interesting. um how about remote services? have you guys been doing more of those than before things like um, any kind of remote you know fittings or just remote evaluations anything of that
6: we um we are doing more because we didn't do any before the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> and um, but it it has been a bit challenging with our population to mm-hmm. take it on. I have some younger people because I do uh, tinnitus cancelling and tinnitus therapies. And so I've been able to do it a little bit more, a little bit easier, but we've done remote fittings, um, hearing aid orientations. Uh, We've pretty much done everything. But now it's a choice, but most people Mm -hmm. are still choosing to come in and we we had 150 people on our waiting list. So we're working through that right now. And we're still, now we're starting to get our referrals back up too. So it's hard to keep up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, what's the sense in Arizona right now? I mean, it sounds like you have 150 people waiting. Um, do you get the sense that people are kind of anxious to get back? Or uh, do you still feel a little bit of, um, you know, people being a little hesitant to come and see you all um, and maybe some of the things that you're doing to alleviate some of those concerns.
6: Well, we have the gamut. Um, we have people I, in the area that I have the practice in Northwest Tucson. It's, um, it's a retirement area for sure. I call it the Scottsdale of Tucson. <laughs> and uh, it's so People are ready for life to be back to what they perceive as normal,
5: mm-hmm. but
6: there are a few that decide, well, I don't want to do my clean and check inside yet, so I choose to do curbside, and um, so we're cool with that. But. We've taken surveys with our patients to see what's important to them and to let them know what we're doing. Um, We've just really tried to keep a pulse on everything, and so far the feedback has been really nice. I haven't had anybody refuse to, um, we make them wash their hands when they first come in, and um, if they don't have a mask, we provide them one. And uh, we have medical purifiers in the booths and then regular purifiers in the rest. And I'm <laughs> debating on a UVC light in the booth uh, on that as well. But, um, but AU has really helped. I was on a task force within Theo's uh, infection control and she helped so much um, yeah. helping us get all of that together.
0: Yeah shout out to AU she's uh, this is the second time she's now been mentioned on this podcast but um AU Bankitis, Dr AU Bankitis, she's uh you know the champion for infection control so um it's been cool to see her really step up and use her um all of her knowledge with this and and how it applies to this specific type of virus um so I'm glad that you two were able to work together on that well, cool, Judy. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspective of what's been going on and, and how things have been in Tucson.
6: All right. Thank you, David.
4: Hi, I'm uh, Jason Airt, an audiologist in Corville, Iowa. We've got seven locations for our practice and uh, our practice has been around since 1981. So we've got quite a few years behind us. We have three providers and several support staff members. Um, and it's been a very interesting time
0: here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks Jason for joining us. Uh, you are the last one that I'm interviewing here, um, right in the heart of the country. So I think, a, a, another unique perspective. So tell us a little bit about what this time has been like, you know, going back to say March, um, in Iowa up until about now. Um, can you just share sure. what, what things have been like in Iowa and then also specifically with your practices?
4: Okay. Um, In Iowa, starting in March, the beginning of March, everything was pretty normal around here that yes, there had been some news clips about what was going on in COVID. Um, As far as our practice, we were going the same pace that we had been. Within the first couple of weeks of March, that's where everything started to escalate. Um, Our practice started to take a look at what we needed as far as protocols for people coming in on a loose end comparative to where we are and uh, how we're protecting staff and going through that process. And probably the third week in March is when everything hit and we pretty much shut down with the exception of doing curbside and phone calls and some telehealth and had to try to regroup as to what we're doing, what we need to invest into our business and how we're going to keep our business moving forward.
0: So, Um, you've obviously made some modifications before we started recording. You actually sent me some pictures that you made, um, of, of the different, um, like protective shielding that you've done within your practice. Um, can you just speak to, you know, not only that, you know, in terms of how you've outfitted your practice to accommodate for, you know, a more hygienic and, um, you know, to create barriers and personal barriers and such. Um, but can you also just speak to some of these different Uh, call them adaptations that you guys have kind of created, um, to, you know, during these times.
4: Sure. Um, first adaptation came from the front office. We have a pretty open design as far as our clinic that yes, we keep everything confidential and, and, uh, conscientious of hip and all, but nonetheless, it's a more open type of a design. Mm -hmm. Um, very welcoming, but not very good for this type of stuff. So the first adaptation came to closing some of those areas off and putting up some barriers, and when I was going through that and looking at it, just get, getting the sense that this wasn't going to end tomorrow or two weeks mm-hmm. from now, or we'd have a two-week shutdown and magically it all be better. I thought, well, if I'm going to take the time and uh, build something, let's build it so it can look nice and we can keep it in place for a good bit of time. And if you know this is all over, maybe we remodify it and make it look even nicer. Um, I wanted something functional. I wanted something that our staff was going to feel very comfortable with because in the earlier stages it didn't quite seem like the whole populace was grabbing onto this. So, mm-hmm. you know, we may feel the gravity of it or as a business owner and taking that onus of responsibility on for your, for your staff. And for those people coming into your clinic, um, I felt we needed to make people feel comfortable within the exam rooms. Then I was trying to take a look at that and talking to a very good friend who was helping, structure things for the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics, the first thing he was saying was they were taking everything out of the rooms. And it is amazing how much stuff we have in a room, even if you think it's a pretty scaled down room. Mm -hmm. So, that was kind of the first step, and then putting up barriers. Um, Barn doors seem to be the end thing uh, right now, Mm -hmm. so that was where I built a plexiglass barn door that looks nice and you can slide and still get people in and out and have the practitioner feel pretty comfortable about everything. So those were some of the main things that that I was going through and and taking into place. Um, It's just a lot of things to think about. And I had a lot of good help on designing the rooms and getting the stuff out of the rooms that just doesn't need to be there.
0: Yeah, no, I think that is really interesting that, um, you know, this idea of kind of creating a more hygienic atmosphere. And um, obviously, you want to ensure your patients, uh, you know, that they're in a safe and welcoming place, kind of like you've done. Um, Can you speak to, you know, this uh, curbside? I, I know that, you know, across all six of these conversations now, curbsides become a thing. I know you know, just in talking beforehand, you had mentioned that that wasn't something that you were really doing before. So, and I know that you're doing some stuff with like a ring camera and uh, Amazon Echo shows. So uh, just a, it sounds like a really interesting way that you've sort of approached this whole idea. And it sounds like it might be something that you will continue to do, you know, beyond this period.
4: Right. Um, you're, you're correct. We didn't do any curbside before and, and actually it never really even came up as a thought in, in my practice. We would have drop-offs and that type of stuff, but that still entailed somebody coming in the office and uh, dropping their stuff off to the front staff. One of the things that we have done was to have our staff, as much of the staff remote care as possible, and also um, remote schedule. Mm-hmm. So we have very few people in our office. We are keeping our front door locked at this point in time with signage, and when people show up even for an in-person um, appointment, they're just to call our office, they ding us on our system, and then we go out and get them so we can check temp and make sure they're masked up and come on in and, and do our thing. Um, with the curb side, we pretty much implemented that when we were just shutting everything down because we knew there's still people that need something and there wasn't too many reasons why we couldn't be doing some of that anyway. So our staff, we just started rotating, saying, you get this day and we'll get that day and and kind of go through that process. Um, to me, it's been very beneficial and the patients actually love it. Uh, mm-hmm. For a lot of people, if they have mobility issues and they just needed to get something cleaned or checked or new tip or tube put on, they can just roll up and we come out and get it. And if it's a nice day, it's all great. And yeah. uh, it's quick and easy. So that's been a really good thing. And I can see keeping that in some respect throughout the time it cuts down on our Mm walk-ins and that's been one of the big changes too, that we have all, it's great to have people that want to come in and see you, but Mm -hmm. just the random walk-ins was just starting to really build. We've got a large practice and over the course of the years, you get enough people It's just statistically going to happen. Yeah. And, and this is a good opportunity for us to just retrain how we're doing everything. And uh, kind of set that process in place.
0: it's It's interesting, like across these conversations, this has sort of been a reoccurring theme, which is that you know, these are short term, changes if you will that you're making and then you sort of see them as like okay maybe this is something that would be viable longer term and another one that plays into this that i know that you were actually early on you said that you had been doing this for a few years um, but it sounds like it's really started to pick up is the remote like telehealth offering so can you speak a little bit about some of that aspect to your business now
4: right um so we have the telehealth in a couple of different ways we do have it through Counselor, so that's one way that i i know has been very easy for patients the problem is not everybody in our we deal primarily with the geriatric population so mm-hmm. if we give them that choice of saying we can have a practitioner call you or you could do a video conference and maybe that would be a little bit more useful majority of the time they're still just saying just have them call me mm-hmm. um, but we're starting to get people integrated into that it's showed us as well that we need to do a much better job of capturing emails mm-hmm. um, you know we we were doing a pretty good job, but we could have been doing an even better job. Um, so that, that was a learning curve on our, our part. Um, we also have been working with the manufacturers doing remote adjustments for the last couple of years since that stuff came out. It intrigued us. It, we do have a rural population, so for somebody to drive an hour is not out of the question sometimes to come into one of our clinics. Um, if it was just a quick adjustment, we thought, well, this would be great implementation is a little bit more difficult. And I think we're making a lot of headway. Um, we as practitioners learn now that if we have a new fit, we get them all set up, whether they think they'd want it or not, you know, with their phones and everything. And, and then it's much easier because there are many more steps to go through for a lot of the um, manufacturer types of telehealth that have to happen versus just clicking on an email and it's all done.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting. So as we kind of close out here, can you just share like what's your general sense of how things are going with your practice in terms of um, the reopening, right? Like are you starting to see a uptick in volume in terms of uh, you know people wanting to come see you and scheduling appointments? Are you getting the sense that um, the volume is returning? Great question.
4: And <laughs> we are probably two weeks into... <clears throat> Patients in-house as mm-hmm. as well as the curbside and reopening some of our outlet clinics. Um, if this were to happen that we were trying to open up two or three weeks ago, we were having people calling us, even though we were sending letters out saying we're canceling your appointment for now. If you need curbside, you can you can do that. So people were canceling left and right on their own. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing people. Coming back in, calling in, we are starting to see some new evals, which is a good thing because I know we love to take care of our patients, but you also need that revenue stream to come back in. Um, so for those types of things, we're seeing a build. I don't foresee it being the same way it was yeah. pre-COVID, um, and that those are some of the business aspects that we all probably have to look at and to say where are we really lean at and where are some of that fat that we need to be readjusting and moving around from clinics to whatever we're doing. Um, so the positive thing is at least seeing people calling in. I was been a little bit different with the lockdowns comparative to some other states that mm-hmm. being more rural, there were a lot more people out and about anyway. So it it wasn't a complete lockdown, but people were avoiding if they didn't have to go in somewhere they didn't. You know, mm-hmm. people are doing curbside pickup, groceries, that type of stuff, food. Um, but now I think uh, people are feeling that it's a little bit better. I'm sure it depends on each state, too, as to how the the top-down approach is, as, hey, it's right. all better, everybody go out and do whatever, or, <laughs> uh, or you still need to have your precautions. I know with our practice, we are sticking tight on our protocols and how people come in our office and, and how they're going to be treated and keep everybody safe.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And you're right. It's definitely been different, you know, across all six of these conversations that I've had, it sounds like it's just been a little bit different in each area. But what's been positive in my eyes is that it sounds like there are things that, um, you know, I guess call them silver linings, but it sounds like this has been a period of time where you have kind of, to your point, been able to examine, uh, you know, your internal business and see, okay, what are the things that maybe we need to refine or we need to fine tune? Um, so at least it's been an opportunity to sort of uh, optimize your practice, if you will.
4: I completely agree. And even our time management Um for many of us running our practices, you, you run pretty hard and, and you mm-hmm. work very long days, and we all sit there and say, Why are we doing this? <laughs> um, this hard, you, you know, the, you think maybe I could take a little bit more time off. And this did prove you can take more time off if yeah. you really needed to up to a certain <laughs> point. Um, but all of my friends that own their practices that I've been visiting with, they all have a similar aspect as to when we ramp things back up to the more full time, we're not going to. Be working as many hours as we did before, so that's been another opportunity just to to know what is really meaningful in your life
0: yeah, absolutely. well, thanks, Jason. Appreciate you coming on and sharing what's hey, been you, going on in Iowa. Thanks for having me, yep.